Chapter 3 3 is company. You ought to go quietly, and you ought to go soon, said Gandalf. Two or three weeks had passed, and still Frodo made no sign of getting ready to go. I know, but it's difficult to do both, he objected. If I just vanish like Bilbo, the tale will be all over the Shire in no time. Of course he mustn't vanish, said Gandalf. That wouldn't do at all. I said soon, not instantly. If you can think of any way of slipping out of the Shire without it being generally known, it'd be worth a little delay. But you must not de delay too long. What about the autumn, on or after our birthday? asked Frodo. I could probably make some arrangements by then. To tell the truth, he was very reluctant to start now that it had come to the point. Bag End seemed a more desirable residence than it had for years, and he wanted to savour as much as he could of his last summer in the Shire. When autumn came, he knew that the part at least of his heart would think more kindly of journeying, as it always did that season. He had indeed privately made up his mind to leave on his 50th birthday, Bilbo's 128th. It seemed somehow the proper day, and on this he set his mind on it to follow him. Following Bilbo was uppermost in his mind, and the one thing that made the thought of leaving bearable. He thought as little as possible about the ring, and where it might lead him in the end. But he did not tell all his thoughts to Gandalf. What the wizard guessed was always difficult to tell. He looked at Fro Frodo and smiled. Very well, he said. I think that will do, but it must not be any later. I'm getting very anxious. In the meanwhile, do take care, and don't let out any hint of where you are going. And see that Sam Gamgee does not talk. If he does, I really shall turn him into a toad. As for where I'm going, said Frodo, it'd be difficult to give that away, for I have no idea myself yet. Don't be absurd, said Gandalf. I'm not warning you against leaving an address at the post office, but you are leaving the Shire, and that should not be known, not until you are far away. And you must go, or at least set out, either north, south, west or east, and the direction should certainly not be known. I have been so taken up with the thoughts of leaving Bag End and of saying farewell that I have never considered the direction, said Frodo. For where am I to go? And by what shall I steer? And what is to be my quest? Bilbo went to find a treasure, there and back again. But I go to lose one, and not to return, as far as I can see. But you cannot see very far, said Gandalf. Neither can I. But it may be your task to find the cracks of doom. But that also may be the quest for others, I don't know. At any rate, you're not ready for that long road yet. No, indeed, said Frodo. But in the meantime, what course am I to take? Towards danger. But not too rashly, nor too straight, answered the wizard. And if you want my advice, make for Rivendell. That journey should not provide to be... That journey should not prove to be too perilous, though the road is less easy than it was, and will grow worse as the year fails. Oh, Rivendell, said Frodo. Very good. I will go east, and I will make for Rivendell. I'll take Sam to visit the elves. He'll be very pleased. He spoke lightly, but his heart was moved suddenly with a desire to see the house of Elrond Halfelven, and breathe the air of that deep valley, 
where many of the fair folk still dwelt in peace. One summer's evening, an astonishing piece of news reached the ivy bush at the Green Dragon. Giants and other portents on the border of the Shire were forgotten. For more important matters, Mr. Frodo was selling Bag End. Indeed, he had already sold it to the Saxful Bagginsids. For a nice bit, too, said some. At a bargain price, said others. And it's more likely that Mistress Lobelia is the buyer. Otho had died some years before, at the ripe but disappointed age of 102. Just why Mr. Frodo was selling his beautiful hull was even more debatable than the price. A few held the theory, supported by the nods and hints of Mr. Baggins himself, that Frodo's money was wandering out. He was going to leave Hobbiton and live in a quiet way on the proceeds of a sale, down in the buckland amongst his brandy-buck relations. As far from the sexual Bagginsism as may be, some added. But so firmly fixed had the notion of immeasurable wealth of the Baggins of Bag End become, that most found that this was hard to believe, harder than any other reason or unreason that their fancy could suggest. To most it suggested a dark and yet unrevealed plot by Gandalf. Though he kept himself very quiet and did not go about by day, it was well known that he was hiding up in the Bag End. But however a removal might fit in the designs of his wizardry, there's no doubt about the fact Frodo Baggins was going back to Buckland. Yes, I shall be moving this autumn, he'd say. Mary Brandybuck is looking out for a nice little hole for me, or maybe a small house. As a matter of fact, with Mary's help, he had already chosen and bought a little house at Crick Hollow in the country beyond Blue Buckleberry. To all but Sam, he pretended he was going to settle down there permanently. The decision was to set out eastwards and suggest the idea to him, for Buckland was on the eastern border of the Shire and as he had lived there in childhood, his going back would seem at least credible. Gandalf stayed in the Shire for over two months. Then one evening, at the end of June, soon after Frodo's plan had been finally arranged, he suddenly announced that he was going off again the next morning. Only for a short while, I hope, he said. But I'm going down beyond the southern borders to get some news if I can. I've been idle longer than I should have. He spoke lightly but it seemed to Frodo that he looked worried. "'Has anything happened?' he asked. "'Oh, well, no, but I have heard something that has made me anxious and needs looking into. If I think it necessary after all for you to get off at once, I shall come back immediately, or at least send word. In the meantime, stick to your plan, but be more careful than ever, especially with the ring. Let me implore you at once. Do not use it. He went off at dawn. I may be back any day, he said. At the very latest, I'll come back for the farewell party. I think, after all, you may need my company on the road. At first, Frodo was a good deal disturbed, and wondered often what Gandalf would have heard. But his uneasiness wore off, and in the fine weather he forgot his troubles for a while. The Shire had seldom seen so fair a summer, nor so rich an autumn. The trees were laden with apples, honey was dripping in the cones, and corn was full and tall. Autumn was well under way before Frodo began to worry about Gandalf again. September was passing, and there was still no news of him. The birthday and the removal drew nearer, and still he did not come, or send word. Bag End began to be busy. Some of Frodo's friends came to stay and help him with the packing. There was Fredegar Bolger and Falco Boffin, and of course his special friends Pippin Took and Mary Brandybuck. Between them, they turned the whole place upside down. 
On September 20, two covered carts went off laden to Buckland, conveying the furniture and goods that Frodo had not sold in his new home, by way of Brandywine Bridge. The next day, Frodo came, became really anxious and kept a constant lookout for Candolf. Thursday, his birthday morning, dawned as fair and clear as it, did, as it had done long ago for Bilbo's great party. Still Gandalf did not appear. In the evening, Frodo gave his farewell feast. It was small, just a dinner for himself and his four helpers, but he was troubled and felt no mood for it. The thought that he would soon have to part with his young friends weighed on his heart. He wondered how he would break it to them. The four younger hobbits were, however, in high spirits, and the party soon became a cheerful in spite of Gandalf's absence. The dining room was bare except for table and chairs, but the food was good, and there was good wine. Frodo's wine had not been included in the sale to the Saxville Bagginses. Whatever happens to the rest of my stuff when the Saxville Bagginses get their claws on it? At any rate, I will have found a good home for this, said Frodo, as he drained his glass. It was the last drop of the old vineyards. When they had sung many songs and talked many things, and they toasted Bilbo's birthday and drank his health and Frodo's together, according to Frodo's custom. And then they went out for a sniff of air and glimpse of the stars and went to bed. Frodo's party, party was over and Gandalf had not come. The next morning they were busy packing another cart with the remainder of the luggage. Mary took charge of this and drove off with Fatty, that is, Frederick Bulger. Someone must get there and warm the house before you arrive, said Mary. Well, see you later. The day after tomorrow if you don't go to sleep on the way. Frodo went home after lunch, but Pippin retained behind. Frodo was restless and anxious, listening in vain for the sound of Gandalf. He decided to wait until nightfall. After that, if Gandalf wanted him urgently, he would go to Crick Hollow, and might even get there first, for Frodo was going on foot. His plan for pleasure and a last look at the Shire was, as much as any other reason, was to walk from Hobbiton to Blackberry Ferry, taking it fairly easy. I shall get myself into a bit of training, too, he said, looking at himself in the dusty mirror in the half-empty hall. He had not done any strenuous walking for a long time, and the reflection looked rather flabby, he thought. After lunch, the Saxville Bagginses, Lobelia and her sandy-haired son, Lotho, turned up, much to Frodo's annoyance. Owls at last, said Lobelia, as she stepped inside. It was not polite, nor strictly true for the sale of Bag End did not take effect until midnight. But Lobelia can perhaps be forgiven. She had been obliged to wait about seventy-seven years longer for Bag End than she had thought, and she was now a hundred years old. Anyway, she had come to see that nothing had, that she had paid for had been carried off, and she wanted the keys. It took a long while to satisfy her, as she had brought a complete inventory with her, and went right through it. In the end, she departed with Lotto, and the spare key and the promise that the other key would be left in the Ganges in the bag shot row. She snorted and showed plainly that she thought the Ganges capable of plundering the hole during the night. Frodo did not offer her any tea. He took his own tea with Pippin and Sam Ganges in the kitchen. It had been officially announced that Sam was coming to Buckland to do for Mr Frodo and look after his garden. An arrangement that was approved by the gaffer, although it did not console him for the prospect of having Lobelia as a neighbour. Our last meal at Bag End, said Frodo, pushing back his chair. They left the washing up for Lobelia. Pippin and Sam strapped their three packs and piled them into the porch. 
Pippin went out for a last stroll in the garden, and Sam disappeared. The sun went down. Bag End seemed sad and gloomy and dishevelled. Frodo wandered around the familiar rooms and saw the light of the sunset fade on the walls, and the shadows creep out of the corners. It grew slowly dark indoors. He went out and walked slowly down the gate at the bottom of the path, and then on a short way down the hill road. He half expected Gandalf to come striding up through the dust. The sky was clear, and the stars were growing bright. Oh, it's going to be a fine night, he said aloud. That's good for a beginning. I feel like walking. I can't bear any more hanging about. I'm going to start. And Gandalf must follow me. He turned to go back, and then stopped, for he heard voices, just round the corner by the end of Bagshot Row. One voice was certainly the old gaffers, the others was strange and somehow unpleasant. He could not make out what he said, but he heard the gaffer's answers, which were rather shrill. The old man seemed put out. No, Mr. Baggins has gone away. Went this morning, and my Sam with him. Anyway, all his stuff went. Yes. Sold out and gone, I tell you. Why? None of my business or yours. Where to? That ain't no secret. He's moved to Bucklebury or some such place, away down yonder. Yes, it is. A tidy way. I've never been so far myself. They're queer folk in Buckland. No, I can't give no message. Good night. Footsteps went away down the hill. Frodo wondered vaguely why the fact that they did not come up on the hill seemed a great relief. <sighs> I'm sick of questions and curiosity about my doings, I suppose, he thought. What an inquisitive lot they all are. He had half a mind to go and ask the gaffer who the inquirer was, but he thought better or worse of it, and turned and walked quickly back to Bag End. Pippin was sitting on his pack on the porch. Sam was not there. Frodo stepped inside the door. Sam! Sam, time! Coming, sir, came the answer from far within, followed by Sam himself, wiping his mouth. He had been saying farewell to the bare barrel in the cellar. All aboard, Sam? Yes, sir. I'll last for a bit now, sir. Frodo shut and locked the door round, and gave the key to Sam. Run down with us to your home, Sam, he said. Then cut along the row and meet us quick as you can through the, at the gate in the lane beyond the meadows. We're not going through the village tonight. Too many ears pricking and eyes prying. Sam was then able to run off at full speed. Well, now we're off at last, said Frodo. They shouldered their packs and took up their sticks and walked around the corner of the west end of Bag End. Goodbye. Frodo looked back at the dark blank windows. He waved his hand and then turned around, following Bilbo, if he had known it, hurried after Peregrine down the garden path. They jumped over the low place in the hedge at the bottom and looked at the fields, passing into the darkness like rustle in the grasses. At the bottom of the hill on the western side they came to a gate opening into a narrow lane. There they halted and adjusted the straps of their packs. Presently Sam appeared, trotting quickly and breathing hard. His heavy pack was hoisted high on his shoulders, and he put on his head a tall, shapeless felt bag, which he called a hat. In the gloom he looked very much like a dwarf. I'm sure you'll give me all the heavy stuff, said Frodo. I pity snails, all that they carry their homes on their backs and all. I could take a lot more yet, sir. My pack is quite light, said Sam stoutly and untruthfully. No, you don't, Sam, said Pippin. It's good for him. He's got nothing except what he ordered us to pack. He's been slack lately, and he'll feel the weight less when he's walked off some of his own. <laughs> Be kind to a poor old hobbit, laughed Frodo. I'll be as thin as a willow wand, I'm sure. 
before I get to Buckland, anyway. But I was talking nonsense. I suspect you've taken more than your share, Sam. And I shall look into it our next packing. He picked up his stick again. Well, we all like walking in the dark, he said, so let's put some miles in us before we go to bed. For a short way, they walked, following the lane westwards. Then leaving it, they turned left and took quietly to the fields again. They went in single file along the hedgerows and the borders of coppices, and night fell dark about them. In their dark cloaks they were invisible as if they'd all had magic rings. Since they were all hobbits and they were all trying to be quiet, they made no noise that even hobbits would hear. Even the wild things in the fields and the woods hardly noticed their passing. After some time they crossed the water, west of Hobbiton, by a narrow plank bridge. The stream was there no more than a winding ribbon, bordered with the leaning elder trees. A mile or two further south they hastily crossed the great road from Brandywine Bridge. They were now in Tookland, and bending southeastwards they made for the Green Hill country. As they began to climb its first slopes they looked back and saw the lamps of Hobbiton far off twinkling in the gentle valley of water. Soon it disappeared in the folds of the darkened land, and was followed by Bywater beside its grey pool. When the light of the last farm was far behind, peeping along the trees, Frodo turned and waved his hand in a farewell. I wonder if I ever shall look down on that valley again, he said quietly. When they had walked for about three hours, they rested. The night was clear, cool and starry, but smoke-like wisps of mist were creeping up the hillside from the streams and deep meadows. Thin-clad birches swaying in the light wind above their heads made a black net against the pale sky. They had a very frugal supper for hobbits, and then went on again. Soon they struck a narrow road that went rolling up and down, fading grey into the darkness ahead. The road to Woodhall and Stock, and Black Buckleberry Ferry. It climbed away from the main road in the water valley, and wound over the skirts of the green hill towards Woody End, a wild corner of East Farthing. After a while they plunged into a deeply coloven track between tall trees that rustled their dry leaves in the night. It was dark. At first they talked, or hummed a tune softly together, being now far away from inquisitive ears. Then they marched on in silence, and the Pippin began to lag behind. At last, as they began to climb a steep slope, he stopped and yawned. Oh, how sleepy, he said. That soon I shall fall down on the road. Are you going to sleep on your legs? It's nearly midnight. I thought you liked walking in the dark, said Frodo. But there's no great hurry. Mary expects us sometime the day after tomorrow, but that leaves us nearly two days more. We'll halt at the first likely spot. The wind's in the west, said Sam. If we get to the other side of this hill, we shall find a spot that is sheltered and snug enough, sir. There's a dry firwood just ahead, if I remember rightly. Sam knew the land well within twenty miles of Hobbiton, but that was the limit of his geography. Just over the top of the hill they came to a patch of firwood. Leaving the road they went into the deep resin-scented darkness of the trees and gathered dead sticks and cones to make a fire. Soon they had a merry crackle of flame at the foot of a large fir tree and sat round in it for a while, until they began to nod. Then each in an angle of the great tree's roots they curled up in their cloaks and blankets and were fast asleep. They set no watch. Even Frodo feared no danger yet, for they were still in the heart of the Shire. A few creatures came and looked at them when the fire died away, 
Fox, passing through the wood on business of his own, stopped several minutes and sniffed. Hobbits, he thought. Oh, what next? I've heard of strange doing in this land, but I've seldom heard of a hobbit sleeping outdoors under a tree, and three of them. There's something mighty weird about this. He was quite right, but he never found out any more of it. The morning came, pale and clammy. Frodo woke up first and found that a tree rote had made a hole in his back, and that his neck was stiff. Walking for pleasure? Why didn't I drive, he thought, as he usually did at the beginning of expedition. And all my beautiful feather beds are sold to the Saxville Bagginses. These tree roots would do them good, he stretched. Wake up, hobbits, he cried. It's a beautiful morning. What's beautiful about it, said Pippin, peering over the edge of his blanket with one eye. Sam, get breakfast ready. It's almost half past nine. Have you got the bath water hot? Sam jumped up, looking rather blurry. No, sir, I haven't, sir. Ugh. Photo stripped the blankets from Pippin and rolled him over, and then walked off to the edge of the wood. Away eastward, the sun was rising red out of the mist that lay in thick on the world. Touched with gold and red, the autumn trees seemed to be sailing rootless on a shadowy sea. A little below him to the left, a road ran down a steeply into a hollow and disappeared. When he returned, Sam and Pippin got a good fire going. Water? shouted Pippin. Where's the water? I don't keep water in my pockets, said Frodo. We thought you'd gone to find some, said Pippin. You'd better go now, as he set out the food and the cups. You can come too, said Frodo. And bring all the water bottles. There was a stream at the foot of the hill. They filled their bottles in the small camping kettle at the little fall where the water fell, a few feet over an outcrop of grey stone. It was icy cold, and they spluttered and puffed as they bathed their faces and hands. When their breakfast over, breakfast was over, and their packs all trussed up again. It was after ten o'clock, and the day was beginning to turn fine and hot. They went down the slope and across the stream where it dived under the road, and up the next slope, and up and down, and up and down the shoulders of the hills. That by the time their cloaks, blankets, water, food, and other gear Sorry, by that time, their cloaks, blankets, water, food, and other gear already seemed a heavy burden. The day's march promised to be warm and tiring work. After some miles, however, the roads ceased to roll up and down. It climbed to the top of a steep bank in a weary, zigzagging sort of way, and they prepared to go down again for the last time. In front of them, they saw the lower lands dotted with small clumps of trees that melted away in the distance to a brown woodland haze. They were looking across the woody end towards Brandywine River. The road wound away before them like a piece of string. The road goes on forever, said Pippin, but I can't without rest. It's time for lunch. He sat down on the bank at the side of the road and looked away east into the haze, beyond which lay the river, and the end in the shire which he'd spent all his life. Sam stood beside him. His eyes had grown wide, for he was looking across lands he had never seen to a new horizon. Do elves live in those woods? he asked. Not that I ever heard, said Pippin. Frodo was silent. He too was gazing eastward along the road, as if he had never seen it before. Suddenly he spoke, aloud, but as if to himself, saying, The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road is gone, and I must follow, if I can pursuing it with weary feet till it joins some larger way, 
when many paths and errand meets, and whither then I cannot say. That sounds a bit like old Bilbo's rhyming, said Pippin, or is it one of your imitations? It doesn't sound very encouraging. I don't know, said Frodo. It came to me then, as if I was making it up, but I may have heard it long ago. Certainly it reminds me very much of Bilbo in the last years before he went away. He used to often say there was only one road, and it was like a great river. Its springs were at every doorstep, and its path was its tributary. Oh, it's a dangerous thing, Frodo, going out of your door, he used to say. You step on the road, if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might sweep to. Do you realise that this is the very path that goes through Mirkwood, and if you let it, it might take you to the Lonely Mountain, or even further, to the worst places? He used to say that on the path outside the front door at Bag End, especially after I'd been out for a long walk. Well, the road won't sweep me anywhere for an hour at least, said Pippin, unslinging his pack. The others followed his example, putting their packs against the bank and their legs out on the road. After a rest they had a good lunch, and then a bit more rest. The sun was beginning to get low, and the light of the afternoon was on the land as they went down the hill. So far they had not met a soul on the road. This way was not really much used, hardly being fit for carts, and there was little traffic to the woody end. They had been jogging along again for an hour or more when Sam stopped a moment as if listening. They were now on level ground, and the road after was much winding, lay straight and ahead through the grasslands sprinkled with tall trees, outliers of the approaching woods. I can hear a pony or a horse coming along the road behind, said Sam. They looked back, but the turn of the road prevented them from seeing far. I wonder if that's Gandalf coming after us, said Frodo. But even as he said it, he had a feeling that it was not so, and a desire to hide from the view of the rider came over him. It may not matter much, she said apologetically, but I'd rather not be seen on the road by anyone. I'm sick of my doings being noticed and discussed, and if it is Gandalf, he's added as an afterthought, we can give him a surprise to pay him out for being so late. Let's let's go, let's get out of sight. The other two ran quickly to the left and down into the little hollow not far from the road. There they lay flat. Frodo hesitated for a second. Curiosity or some other feeling was struggling with his desire to hide. The sound of hoofs drew nearer. Just in time he threw himself down in the patch of long grass behind the trees so they overshadowed in the road. Then he lifted his head and peered cautiously above one of the great roots. Round the corner came a black horse. No hobbit pony, but a full-sized horse. And on it sat a large man who seemed to crouch in the saddle, wrapped in great black cloak and hood so only his boots and the high stirrups showed below. His face was shadowed and invisible. When it reached the tree and was level with Frodo, the horse stopped. The riding figure sat quite still with his head bowed, as if listening. From inside the hood came a noise, as of someone sniffing to catch elusive scent. The head turned from side to side of the road. A sudden, unreasoning fear of discovery lay hold of Frodo, and he thought of his ring. He hardly dared to breathe, yet the desire to get it out of his pocket became so strong that he began to slowly move his hand. He felt that he only had to slip it on, and then he would be safe. The advice of Gandalf seemed absurd. Bilbo had used the ring. And I'm still in the shire, he thought, as his hand touched the chain on which it hung. At that moment, the rider sat up and shook the reins. The horse stepped forward, walking slowly at first and then breaking into a quick trot. 
Frodo crawled to the edge of the road and watched the rider until he dwindled into the distance. He could not be sure, but it seemed to him that suddenly before it passed out of sight, the horse turned aside and went into the trees on the right. I call that very queer, indeed disturbing, said Frodo to himself as he walked towards his companions. Pippin and Sam had remained flat in the grass and seen nothing, so Frodo described the rider and his strange behaviour. I can't say why, but I feel certain he was looking or... smelling for me. I also feel certain I did not want him to discover me. I've never seen or felt anything like this in the Shire before. But what has one of the big people got to do with us, said Pippin? And what is he doing in this part of the world? There are some men about, said Frodo. Down in South Farthing they've had some trouble with the big people, I believe. But I've never heard anything like this rider. I wonder where he comes from. Begging your pardon, put in Sam suddenly, I know where he comes from. It's from Hobbiton that this there black rider comes. Unless there's more than one, and I know where he's going to. What do you mean, said Frodo sharply, looking at him in astonishment. Why didn't you say something before? Oh, I've only just remembered it, sir. It was like this. When I got back to the hole yesterday with the key, my dad, he says to me, Hello, Sam, he says. I thought you were away with Mr. Frodo this morning. Oh, there's been a strange customer asking for Mr. Baggins at Bag End, and he's only just gone. I've sent him on to Buckleberry. Not that I like the sound of him. He seemed mighty put out, and I told him Mr. Baggins had left his old home for good. He hissed at me, he did. He gave me quite a shudder. What sort of fellow was he, I said to the gaffer. I don't know, says he, but he wasn't a hobbit. He was tall and black-like, and he stooped over me. I reckon it was one of the big folk from them foreign parts. He spoke funny. I couldn't stay to hear more, sir, but since you were waiting, I didn't want to much heed it myself. The gaffer was getting old and more than a bit blind, and it must have been near dark when this fellow came up the hill and found him taking air at the end of our row. I hope he hasn't done no harm, sir, not me. The gaffer can't be blamed anyway, said Frodo. As a matter of fact, I heard him talking to a stranger who seemed to be inquiring for me, and I nearly went to ask him who it was. I wish I had, or you'd told me about it before. I might have been more careful on the road. Still, there may be no connection between this rider and the gaffer stranger, said Pippin. We left Hobbiton secretly enough, and I don't know how he could have followed us. What about the smelling, sir? said Sam. And the gaffer said he was a dark chap. I wish I had waited for Gandalf, Frodo muttered, but perhaps it would have only made things worse. Then you know or guess something about this rider, said Pippin, who had caught the muttered words. I don't know, and I'd rather not guess, said Frodo. All right, cousin Frodo, you can't keep your secret for the present, and if you want to be mysterious in the meantime, what are we to do? I would like a bite and a sup, but somehow I think we'd better move on from here. Your talk of sniffing riders with invisible noses has unsettled me. Yes, I think we'll move on now, said Frodo, but not on the road, in case that rider comes back or another follows him. We ought to do another good step more today. Buckland's is still miles away. <laughs>